Welcome to a new episode of the Superpowered Fancast. Uh, my name is Darren. Um, when you think about cartoons, and being a, a kid of the 80s, I think about a lot of the cartoons that I used to love. Um, many people kind of focus on like the, the bigger hits. Like, uh, you know, you have your, your He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, and uh, considering the popularity of the show, like, uh, of course, like everything else, it's it's getting a, a remake that's coming to Netflix, which, frankly, from the look of it, I can't wait to check out. But what's really funny is is that now with all of those things, all uh, everything old being new again, now, like, you've even got the reason why those <laughs> cartoons existed, which was toys, back on the shelves. And, and frankly, I... I Seeing those on the shelves at, at Walmart at the, at over 40 years old, it's kind of like a slap in the face to my parents who would literally have to hunt down this son of a bitch like in the 80s to try and uh, to try and find it. Um, but you also have like shows like Thundercats, which were, again, insanely popular to the point where they uh, they had. Well, I, I guess you would call that a reboot or a remake. I, I, I don't because I think it's just weird and wrong but you know what do I know it wasn't made for me um, but you know maybe there are people out there that like it um, but then you also have like your, your G.I. Joe and even G.I. Joe is, is making a comeback uh, in the theaters with the Snake Eyes movie but as a kid of the 90s there were some, some great cartoons from that era that have kind of been lost to history or forgotten by most people so this episode is is all about those. So it's going to be the ten top ten underrated cartoons of the eighties. And the first cartoon I'm going to talk about at number ten is called Laser Tag Academy. Now it was based on the popular game from World of Wonder and originally aired on uh, NBC in 1986. Now Laser Tag Academy was the story of uh, Jamie Jaron. Uh, laser tag champion from the year 3010. Like Jamie travels back in time to the year 1987 to protect her ancestor Beth, who will eventually create the the laser tech technology from a guy named Draxon Dreer. So I mean, there are definite Terminator vibes both in the premise and the episodes because a lot of them had to deal with um, Jamie protect try, literally trying to protect her ancestor from getting murdered by a guy from the future. So, which was kind of, you know, a little, a little adult for, for kids of that of that era. But, you know, they kind of, but it was still like a really fun cartoon. Now, what made Laser Tag unique was the fact that it was an interactive experience. Like, you bought the, the Starlight gun and sensor, or, you know, if you were rich, you got the harness and the helmet as well. And you went out and you, and you played it with your friends. Now, as much as 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 much fun as Laser Tech was, and as much fun as the cartoon is, like you know, like many things in life, the real world had to step in and fuck it up for everybody. And kind of what killed Laser Tag was a combination of both rumors that the gun and the sensor caused cancer, and unfortunately, the the tragic death of Leonard Falcon, who was playing Laser Tag at a schoolyard with his friends in California, and was killed by a police officer who mistook his starlight gun for for a real gun and used his shotgun killed falcon with a 12 gauge shotgun round so i mean i mean i'm sorry to have to (laughs) to start off in a dark place but you know um they were fun cartoons but they were really dark times and 
you know, it is what it is. Now, the uh, next cartoon I want to talk about is uh, Thundar the Barbarian. Now, this was a, rank, a Rudy uh, Spears production, and it originally aired on ABC from uh, 1980 to 1981. Now, Thundar was another one that had a really dark premise for a Saturday morning cartoon. Like, it uh, it was a rogue planet passes Earth in 1994. <laughs> Funny. Causing massive destruction to the planet and the moon. And centuries later, a barbarian slave named Thundar and his companions, Ukla the Mock, are freed from ca- captivity by Princess Ariel. Now, they roam the post-apocalyptic wasteland fighting evil wizards and, and things and who use what's called a combination of magic and super science. Now, what makes the series like really stand out is there was some real powerhouse talent behind the scenes of the production. Now, writers Roy Thomas and Jerry Conway contributed scripts to many of the episodes. Now, if you know anything about uh, Roy Thomas, he's a co-creator of uh, you know characters like Wolverine, Vision, Carol Danvers, Luke Cage, Iron Fist, and many others. While Conway co-created The Punisher, Jason Todd for DC, Killer Croc and many other characters. In addition, comic book legend Jack Kirby worked on the production design of the series, including most of the series' vision uh, villains and, and secondary characters. So there's a, a, a great pedigree behind this series, and a lot of great shows. I mean, it was, a, it was a dark premise, but it was a really good show. Now, the next show I want to talk about is The Adventures of the Galaxy Rangers. Now, created for first run syndication, Galaxy Rangers debuted in 86. Now, the show was set in the year 2086 after two aliens travel to Earth looking for allies to fight against something called the Crown Empire. Now, in exchange for the help of Earth, they gave the planet the ability to create their own hyperdrive, allowing mankind to travel to and colonize distant star systems. Now, with the threat of the Crown Empire and other interstellar threats growing, Earth creates a group of interstellar rangers like the Texas Rangers, to patrol the universe, protect colonies, and and fight against the Crown Empire using uh, implants that give them special abilities. Now, this is one of the rare shows that that during that time, there were toys tied to it, but they weren't necessarily advertised the way a lot of toys were. Like, they they weren't... The toy didn't come first, as far as I know. The toy didn't come first, and the cartoon came later. This is really one of those where the cartoon came first, and then they made toys after that. And a lot of the stories were really compelling for Saturday mornings. I mean, the animation was beautiful. And, and many of the stories and, and characters and situations were way ahead of their time. Now, the next uh, show I want to talk about in number seven is, is Captain N, the Game Master. Now, even back in the 80s, there was no denying what this show was designed to do. I mean, the Nintendo Entertainment System had been released in North America in 85. Arcades were... You know, was still around, but they weren't necess- They weren't getting the kind of uh, traffic that they used that they used to, and people were starting to get. And the the NES system was starting to get really popular, it, especially its games and characters were seeping into everything from uh, breakfast cereals to magazines to sleepwear. Now, Nintendo would find uh, success in animation with the Super Mario Brothers Super Show and the Legend of Zelda shorts that aired on it. But that same year, NBC aired Captain and the Game Master from 1989 to 1991. Now, the show's premise was perfect in its simplicity. Yet, teenager Kevin Keane and his dog Duke are sucked into his Nintendo console 
and wind up in video land where he's tasked with fulfilling an ancient prophecy that he will free video land from the evil forces of mother brain. Now using an NES controller on his belt and his NES light gun, uh, Kevin teams up with princess Lana, Simon Belmont from Castlevania, Kid Icarus and Mega Man to fight mother brain and her, and her minions. Now most of the episodes featured Kevin and the team traveling to other worlds based on Nintendo games to stop uh, mother brain schemes. Now, it was definitely designed to appeal to kids playing Nintendo games as well as encourage kids to buy the games featured in it. But the show was a lot of fun and it was visually interesting, especially for the time. Like seeing those uh, characters, those 8-bit characters uh, kind of become uh, animated was was great for kids who loved uh, those video games. Now, at number six, I want to talk about um, Silverhawks. Now, it's another series created for syndication like Silverhawks was created by Rankin Bass and aired in 1986, a year after another Rankin Bass production, Thundercats, began airing. Now, in the distant future, an alien mob boss named Monstar escapes from prison and reunites with his minions to cause havoc across the galaxy. So then you have Commander Stargazer at Hawk Haven uh, contacts, contacts Earth in order to, to help to bring Monstar in. And now Earth recruits a team, fits them with bionic implants to make the to make them, according to the song, partly metal, partly real, and sends them out into deep space to fight crime. Now the show again, it was a fun show. Like the stories were compelling, the characters had personality. Unfortunately, for Silverhawks, coming out after Thundercats meant it would be compared to Thundercats, and when you have uh, two villains that give speeches before transforming and having both. Uh, Monstar and Mumra, <laughs> both voiced by Earl Hammond, there's no way Silverhawks could escape the comparison to Thundercats. So coming in at number five is Defenders of the Earth. Now this was created by Marvel Productions and King Features. Now Defenders of the Earth was actually a really unique series in many ways. Now it originally aired in syndication from uh, 86 to 87, and Defenders of the Earth introduced a new generation to some classic characters. Now, the series was <clears throat> led by uh, Flash Gordon, a character first introduced in comic strips in the 30s. The show also featured his teammates, Madrick the Magician and the Phantom, both created by Lee Falk and also uh, debuted in newspaper comic strips around the same time. Now, the new characters in, in the series were the team's mechanic and bodyguard Lothar and the children of the characters who were training to be the next generation of defenders uh, fighting against uh, Ming the Merciless. Now, what was unique about the show was the concept of passing the torch to a new generation and the legacy characters being compelling enough to make me go back and actually read their individual stories. Now, coming in at number four is uh, Jace and the Wheeled Warriors. Now, I'm just going to put it out there and be honest. As a Star Wars fan, my nine-year-old self in 1985 knew what Jace, knew that Jason the Wheeled Warriors was two things. It was an attempt by Mattel to get me to buy, um, to get me to buy the toys, absolutely, that were connected to the series, and believe me, I wanted them. And it was probably the most blatant Star Wars ripoff I could imagine at the time. Now, I had seen Return of the Jedi in theaters two years prior. I knew who and what these characters were when I saw the opening credits, but it didn't make the series any less fun to watch. Now, it was developed by 
Michael Straczynski, who's the creator of Babylon 5 and Sensei. The series follows the adventures of Jace and his allies as they search the galaxy for Jace's missing father to unite the magic root and stop Sawboss and his army of monster minds. Now, Jace uses his ring of light and the powers of the magic root to help him in battle. And because of that, I mean, this the comparisons are, are right there. Like, Jace is obviously a Luke Skywalker. Um, Flora is obviously a Leia, just a really bad version of Leia. Like, the space pirate Herc is, is, couldn't be more of a Han Solo clone. And you have uh, the wizard Gillian, who is an obvious Obi-Wan Kenobi ripoff. And even the robot squire, Oon, is, is really just a stand-in for both C-3PO and R2-D2. Now, the series was, was still really fun to watch. And I'll be honest with you, the toys were just really cool. Like, I really love those toys. Now, at uh, number three is uh, Dungeons and Dragons. Now, I'm going to talk about this, but it's also going to be a little dark. There's going to be some, it's going to be some dark things connected to uh, this series and the time, that, especially during the time that it came out. Now, D and D creators TSR teamed with Marvel Productions to bring this ex- their expansive tabletop role playing game to the masses with an animated series that took a group of regular kids and put them in the world of Dungeons and Dragons. As a fan of the game and a player, it was it was cool because you know I really uh, liked the fact that they were going to use uh, Tiamat. I wanted to see uh, Tiamat come to life, so to speak. Now, uh, the group of kids that get on a ride called Dungeons and Dragons and get pulled into a fantasy world, courtesy of the kindly little dungeon master. And they're each given roles, including ranger, magician, thief, acrobat, and so on. Now they find themselves facing off against the evil wizard Venger. Now Venger is. Uh, seeking to uh, take their magic weapons and use use it against uh, Tiamat. Now, each episode was kind of like a campaign where the heroes were tasked by Dungeon Master to travel across the world to find a way home with Avenger and other evil creatures hunting or scheming against them. Now, out of most of the cartoons at the time, it was probably one of the more innocent shows, but unfortunately it couldn't escape something that happened in the 80s that uh, is not affectionately known as the Satanic Panic. Now, what <laughs> a lot of people today would uh, would call cancel culture. Now, I'm going to tell you uh, straight out, kids, like, let's say, if you think cancel culture is bad, the Satanic Panic was just ridiculous, just infinitely worse, to the point of, like, having... It was literally kind of the, the beginning of, of advanced censorship. Like, there were uh, labels on everything. And uh, just a, a couple of examples, like, especially in one specifically connected to Dungeons and Dragons. Like, you would literally have op eds in uh, newspapers saying, like, Dungeons and Dragons, just harmless fun or sorcery. Like, they were so <laughs> scared and upset about, like, kids playing anything that had to do with fantasy because they immediately linked it to Satan. Like, everything got got connected to Satan. And even, like, and I, you know what? I'm looking at you, Oprah. I, even, like, talk shows were talking about uh, cults and horror movies and satanic worship. And it was it was a weird time, especially a weird time to be a kid when you just really wanted to watch a cartoon that you thought was cool 
and everyone else, especially adults who didn't even watch the show, just immediately thought that you were into something satanic. So it's just really kind of weird. But Darkness aside, let's get, let's get back to the list. Now, my number two on the list is Mask. Now, Mask was the answer to the question, what do you do when you need to compete with both G.I. Joe and Transformers? And the answer was, you combine them. <laughs> like, they're originally airing in 1985, Mask stands for Mobile Armored Strike Command. Yes, command with a K. <laughs> the show was pretty simple in its, in its premise. You had Mac Tracker and his friends form a mass team and use their transforming armored vehicles to stop the criminal organization of Venom. Now, Venom usually did a lot of low-level crimes like counterfeiting, extortion, theft, but they also had access to the same technology as Mass, so they would inevitably clash. The series even had its own kind of Spritle and Chim Chim characters from uh, <laughs> from Speed Racer in the form of Matt's son, Scott, and his, and his robot slash motor scooter. But, you know, for... A 30-minute toy commercial? Like, the show was fun from start to finish. It had a really interesting uh, concept. Now, what's funny is, is that while the show only lasted a year, Hasbro is bringing it back to the big screen in a live-action adventure. Uh, it's actually going to be uh, directed by the director of Fate of the Fate of the Furious. So, you know, someone who knows about uh, a vehicle action adventure. But it's going into my, my number one uh, anime, underrated show of the 80s is Bionic 6. And I loved Bionic 6 because, one, it was just like a catch, it had a catchy-ass theme song. But there was a lot of other layers to it. Now, in the 70s, uh, Lee Majors starred in a popular series called The Six Million Dollar Man. It was about an astronaut who was rebuilt with bionic implants after an accident. Three years into its run, uh, there was a spinoff show called The Bionic Woman that aired, and it was uh, as successful. Now, in, in 1987, Universal Television created a series that was loosely based on this concept. Instead of a bionic man and a bionic woman, this time it would be a bionic family. Now, it was created by Ron Friedman, who also created and developed both G.I. Joe and Transformers. And Bionic 6 is the story of the Bennett family. You had, like, test pilot Jack, who was originally given bionic implants, and his wife and children uh, get them after the family's involved in an accident during a family trip. Now, their adventurers usually had them um, using their bionic enhancements uh, to fight uh, Dr. Scarab, and their powers like include like super speed, strength, and agility. Um, but like everything in the 80s, it was campy at times and goofy at others. But it was one of the first animated series that, that actually kind of had some good representation for characters of color. Now, the family was eth ethnically diverse with the Bennett's adopting an Asian and African-American son. Unfortunately, even with like that level of representation, there were still things that were problematic, especially when the Asian son Bungie's uh, codename is Karate One. Uh, despite this, the show, again, it was really fun. It had an awesome animation in comparison to a lot of the other animated shows that were out there at the time. Now, I can't give you the sweet without giving you the bitter. So one of the other things that uh, a lot of studios did at the time is that they wanted to capitalize on like really popular films at the time. But what's funny is, is that if you knew anything about the 80s, the 80s was really just the, the, the apex of R-rated films, R-rated fare. So 
and it, again, it being the 80s, it was probably a lot of people on cocaine at the time. So what's really funny is I don't know how much of it went into some of this stuff, but it had to be some. So I'm going to give you a couple of dishonorable mentions of animated shows that came out that, in my opinion, just really did not belong. There was really no reason for them. So it's like my first um, dishonorable mention is going to be RoboCop, the animated series. Now, Marvel Productions actually thought this was a good idea, and it was created by the writer of the live-action movie. The show aired a year after the movie was released. Now, I want to know, like, not taking into account that kids who would watch the show would be too young to see the rated R film it was based on, the show tried to soften the image of a character who was slaughtered by criminals and proceeded to kill them one by one. Like, did anyone think that a movie <laughs> based... <laughs> That maybe basing a kid's show off a movie where the hero literally shoots a guy in the dick might be a bad idea. I mean, he literally shoots a guy in the nuts during an attempted rape. Like, and someone in a room decided, you know what? I'm going to make an animated kid show out of this. Now, my next dishonorable mention is going to be along the same lines. It's it's called Rambo, The Force of Freedom. Now, this is another one I had an issue with at the time it came out. Like, somebody actually thought that kids would want to watch a cartoon series about a Vietnam vet with PTSD who systemically takes out a group of cops hunting him down. Like, my dad showed me and my brothers the original First Blood, and it freaked out my eight-year-old mind. There was no way a cartoon version of Sylvester Stallone in any form was going to appeal to me. But again, somebody in a room somewhere in California in the 80s, and you know what was going on during that time, decided that, you know what, kids want to see a PTSD-riddled vet uh, hunting down criminals around the world in animated form. Who knows? 1980s, I guess. So that's my list of uh, the top 10 underrated uh, cartoons of the 80s. Like, what are some of your favorites? Like, did you know all, all or any of these uh, shows existed? Maybe there's some that I, that I missed. Like, let me know what some of your favorites are. You can let me know by uh, emailing me at uh, superpoweredfancast at gmail.com. You can uh, go to superpoweredfancast.com and leave a comment under uh, this episode that'll be on the on the website tomorrow uh you can also follow me on twitter at superpowered fan as always you can find uh latest news reviews on uh, my website superpoweredfancast.com uh until next time this is darren signing off